You know, often when we see those images and when we read those words, we focus on the cross or we focus on that empty tomb. And here in a few weeks, I can't believe just a few weeks away, uh, we're going to be focusing on that as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter uh, 2016. But often when we look at that, we focus on the divinity of Christ. We focus on the fact that he uh, was all God, and so we should. But I think far too infrequently, uh, we focus on the other part that Jesus was, and that is, is, is he was all man. And, and that's important for you and I in 2016 for a lot of reasons. Uh, the probably greatest is the fact that many of the things that we suffer through, many of the trials that we have, many of the things that we have to go through in life, he has experienced and he went through many of those same sufferings, being all God, but also all man. And as hard as that is for us to understand, uh, if we believe the Bible to be true, we must believe that he was both God and man. And I got to tell you, it's incredible comfort and it's incredible understanding. And it, it allows us to have a peace and a hope and a future, knowing that our God went through many of the things that we went through. And so in this series, we've been talking about just that. We've entitled it, It's Not Fair. And life is not fair sometimes, but Jesus went through some of the same trials that you and I go through on a daily basis. He went through some of those same challenges where you and I, at the end of the day, will say, it's just not fair. It's not fair. Life isn't fair. And I am the victim of this situation. Jesus understands it. He connects with you on it, and that allows us to be able to talk to him and connect with him because he understands. And I don't know about you, but if you're a Christ follower in here, I am so happy and so excited that we, are a, uh, we serve a God that experienced some of the things that we go through. What a great God he is, just in the fact that he made himself in human form to come to this earth to save the world. Am I right this morning? And I'm so glad that you're here this morning. You guys win the prize, all right? Time change Sunday, the worst Sunday in a pastor's life right here. It's right here today, okay? So we have nightmares of there being an empty crowd at 930. And I'm glad you guys are here. Way to go. I'm proud of you. I've got each one of your faces in my mind, okay? So I'm glad that you're here. And um, I'll make sure I'll tell the other service. They slept in, and that's all I'll say. Anyway, uh, glad you're here today. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. I want you to be praying for our students as they're wrapping up. Uh, our our uh, high school students are wrapping up the retreat right now up in Awanata Valley. And uh, this is the first time that we as a church have gone to Awanata Valley, and that's the same place that as a 15-year-old God called me into the ministry. And so let's be praying in this last day that God reaches many of those students who are up there right now, and they'll be on their way back with Todd and Sammy Cooper and many of the leaders that are up there. So be, pray, be praying for them as uh, they head back. And so I'm glad you're here this morning. Please be praying for them. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 26. You can turn to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be there in a moment. We're going to be looking at three chunks, kind of breaking this message up into three different parts as we look at what Jesus did and how he handled the whole concept of betrayal, being stabbed in the back in denial. You know, at the turn of the first century, it was actually just a little bit before Jesus um, was born, um, there was a ruler of, of Rome. And, and it just happens to be that my daughter is studying this man right now. And uh, he was a ruler of Rome who was a great and mighty warrior. He was an excellent military strategist and leader. And he was part of the triumvirate that made up the Roman Republic at the time. 
But he was, last, uh, he was the last of one of the leaders of the Roman Republic because as time went on, um, this man became more and more and more obsessed with power. He became more and more consumed uh, with wanting to rule the world. In fact, a lot of people think that he wanted to become Alexander the Great. And so this man um, became more and more firm and more ruled with a, a stronger iron fist as time went on. And, and uh, you probably know his name. If you do, you can say it with me. His name was what? Julius Caesar. Okay, Julius Caesar. And so uh, he led the, the known world uh, in Rome, and he caused things to happen. Many of them are good. In fact, uh, there, he really created what we got from, today, from then today as the modern calendar. Um, he did a lot of good things for the world, but as time went on, this man really began to spin out of control in terms of uh, his, uh, his passion for power and his obsession with power. Well, one night as he was uh, walking the streets of Rome, um, many of the people who were concerned about Rome and the Roman Republic uh, had plotted to kill Julius Caesar. And so they uh, took him captive and they began attacking him. And if you read your history, you'll know that it was such a great attack that many of those who plotted against Julius Caesar actually like hurt themselves in their own attack. Um, it was a melee and it was a mob kind of mentality. And Julius Caesar was, was fighting literally against this mob mentality, I'm sure with sword or spear drawn. And he was trying to fight off these now enemies until he looked and he saw his closest advisor and one of his greatest friends, Marcus Brutus, come in the room and draw his spear. And of course, many of you who are uh, literary, have a literary background, I know my wife, Cynthia, um, she had an English minor and she just loves William Shakespeare. And 14 centuries, 15 centuries later, William Shakespeare wrote a play called Julius Caesar, and it's interesting because he kind of like uh, recreated this whole scene, this whole event, and the way that he created it was Brutus stabbing Julius Caesar in the back, bringing him to his death. Now, historians really can't tell if that was actually how it happened, but we have this idea of being stabbed in the back from the story of Julius Caesar and William Shakespeare. And, and as his best friend and his closest advisor walked into the room, William Shakespeare says that he said these words, et tu, Brute, right? You too, Brutus, really? Among all the mob, you, my closest advisor, have now joined him. And all of a sudden, the idea of betrayal uh, had some kind of function. It had some kind of symbol, and it was Brutus, and it was Julius, and, and it was the word being stabbed in the back. And so now, even today, all the way in 2016, we use that phrase, and we use some of these words to describe what it means to have someone deny us or someone betray us. Well, i got to tell you, just a few years or a few decades, actually, after that, um, our Savior, Jesus, experienced the worst kind of denial, the worst kind of betrayal, the worst kind of being stabbed in the back because he had done nothing wrong. He wasn't a dictator obsessed and drunk with power. He wasn't a madman who wanted everyone in his kingdom killed. Uh, he, he came to bring peace. He came to have a relationship. He came to bring forgiveness of sin and eternity forever with God's salvation for the sins of the world. And yet he was stabbed in the back. 
And while Julius Caesar and Jesus have that in common, that they were betrayed and they were stabbed in the back by those who are closest to him, you and I experience it very often, don't we? We experience this idea of betrayal, of being stabbed in the back in a variety of different ways. If you're a student in here, um, you get it. Because in your life, uh, you may have had someone who you confided in give up information that was especially important and fragile. And all of a sudden, someone that you trusted broke your trust by giving up that information. Some of you have been in business and you've seen betrayal in the business world that was excruciating. And it may have actually caused your family harm, financial harm, and even emotional harm. And so you're in business and you've experienced betrayal because of a business partner or a business associate or a group of people tried to take over your business or do something that harmed you or hurt you. And so you understand what betrayal is like. You may be in here and you're a stay-at-home mom, um, which, by the way, I read an article this week that said that Forbes says you have the hardest leadership role in any occupation. So I want to let you know that, guys, okay, ladies and stay-at-home moms and dads, okay? Uh, But you may have had somebody in your life that you confided in and you trusted with something that you're going through. And all of a sudden, everybody knows it. Hey, look, I get it. This is a small island, right? You can't say anything without people hearing it. And sometimes it even ends up in the newspaper right here in this place. Some of you understand betrayal because you had a family member do something um, that has caused you and your family great harm. They turned on you, maybe in some of your darkest days and your weakest moments. Perhaps you're in here and you've been the victim of someone being unfaithful um, in a marriage or in a relationship. Maybe you're here today and you have a, a wayward child. Um, that has betrayed you and turned their back on you. Um, I want to let you know today that there is hope in the midst of your greatest trial of betrayal. And there's hope in the midst of the darkest time that you'll go through because someone did something to you that benefited them and benefited their people, but it harmed you. There is hope in this. There is, uh, there is actually healing that can be had. And i got to tell you, for those of you who have been hurt by betrayal or by denial or being stabbed in the back, I have to tell you today that there is a better way than bitterness. There is a, there is a, a healthier way um, than holding a grudge. There is, uh, there is a way of healing that can heal you and perhaps even heal the other person who has hurt you, or who has betrayed you. And the path to despair, the path to being despondent, the path to depression, lies in you staying in the pit of holding a grudge and being bitter. And I hope today is your day of healing. Whether you're 8 or whether you're 80, You can receive healing from Jesus because he experienced it in a matter that's like 10 times more drastic than any of us in this room ever experienced it. I want you to take a look at Matthew 26, and we're just going to be walking through here. Last week, we uh, took a look at how Jesus, just by his birth, being born into the 
time, and you can understand now the time that he was born into. It was the transitional time of Rome really transitioning from being a republic to, to being this empire. And of course, Caesar Augustus was the Caesar when Jesus uh, was born. And so he, he was born just into a tumultuous time. Uh, the, the republic never recovered from what Julius Caesar did uh, in this instance. And so Jesus was born in this terrible time, but Jesus, just by his birth, was born into scandal because of his family genealogy. And I want to uh, really encourage you uh, to go back and listen to last week's message um, to hear what Jesus did to really help him uh, be steady and, and re remain true to his purpose um, because he was born into less than desirable circumstances. But today, we really turn the page and we take a look at how through the betrayal and through the denial that Jesus faced towards the end of his life now, um, he, we can learn what it means um, to have hope in the midst of, of betrayal and denial and being stabbed in the back. Let's take a look at Matthew 26. Now we're coming to the end of Jesus's. We began in Matthew 1 last week, and we're going to finish up these next two weeks towards the end of Jesus's life, at the end of Jesus's life next week as we celebrate Palm Sunday. Uh, but today we're at the point in time when uh, Rome and the Jews are plotting to kill Jesus. Now let me just set the stage. A lot of you already know this, but I'll set the stage. Jesus was a rabbi um, in, in the same uh, tradition as many of the Jewish rabbis in Jerusalem. Uh, but he had a different message. His message was not adherence to the law, but it was adherence to a relationship with God through him. Uh, his, his message was not of punishment and uh, of, of results and consequences for breaking the law, but his message was one of grace and mercy and love if you have broken the law of forgiveness, of hope for the future, even in the midst of anything that happened. And so this turned the world upside down. Specifically, the other Jewish people were enraged at this message. I, I got to think they were enraged at it because it was, let's face it, just a better message. It's the good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. It wasn't bad news, like if you break one of like, you know, 600 plus laws, uh, you're punished. It was good news that if you break one of those laws, that Jesus would forgive you and that you could have a relationship with God restored. And so I've got to think that there was a jealousy there with many of the other Jewish people, but Jesus was turning the world and the culture and the community upside down. And so the Jews went to the Romans who uh, would really kind of be the civil enforcers of laws, and, and they, they plotted to capture Jesus. And one would think that this would happen by using Romans to do this. One would think that, like, you know, in the story that God was going to tell, that Jesus would be arrested and plotted against by Romans or maybe by, like, some fringe Jewish people. But no, we see in the story, and many of you know it very well, and I hope today will just be a fresh reminder of it, that Jesus was betrayed and he was denied even by those who are closest to him. Let's start in verse 14 as we take a look at Matthew chapter 26. We'll start with verse 14, and we'll read down uh, first uh, to start with through 25. Check this out. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests in secret, I'm going to add, and said, what will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Uh, Judas was the treasurer of Jesus' group. He was the, the manager of the money. 
probably among the disciples, please don't miss this, probably among the disciples, the most trusted disciple. If you put someone in charge of your money, there's one thing that has to be there. What is that? Trust. You have to trust someone who you hand over the reins to the checkbook and to the accounts and to the investments. Jesus' group, his followers, his disciples, they trusted this man, Judas. Judas Iscariot. And here he is in secret. Nothing ever happens good in secret, by the way. Plotting to capture Jesus, the one whom he was following. And so he looks for any opportunity to betray Jesus. Take a look at verse 17. Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, um, where will you have us prepare for you to eat Passover? He said, go into the city and a certain man, uh, to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. This was the week of Passover, um, just like, like this week with here in Hilton Head with us. You know, we got to pray down here at the, uh, uh, later today. You know, turn left when you leave the parking lot. Don't turn right, I promise you, okay? It'll be better for you, okay? So, um, and, and so, you know, it's a busy time. It's spring break. Um, the traffic is like it is at summertime right now, isn't it? Am I right, everybody? Yeah, so... Talk about, like, betrayal and denial. Like, some of you, you know, are like, man, I want to betray this town right now. Anyway, and so um, this was in Jerusalem, the height of, of the, the, the city. This was the high time, the high holy time. This was a time when the city was filled with people. And they were there to celebrate uh, and to remember what God had done. Verse 19, verse 20, I'm sorry. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with his 12 disciples. And as they were eating, he said this, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. That's a good way to start Passover, isn't it? <laughs> like gathering at Thanksgiving and the, the patriarch of your family goes, Hey, one of you is going to stab me in the back pretty soon. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy your turkey. Um, Jesus begins with saying, One of you is going to betray me. Verse 22. And they were very sorrowful. And they began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it me? Certainly it's not me. Um, if I were one of those 12, I, I would probably have said the same thing, wouldn't you? Like, I wonder if it's going to be me, because he gave no indication yet of who that one would be. And I'm sure in their minds, what are they thinking? They're all thinking about who they think it's going to be, right? They're all thinking about who it's going to be. And I'm sure there was probably chatter, little whispers going on of who it might be. Is it I, Lord? Verse 23. He answered them, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me is he who will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not even been born. And verse 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You, you've said so. 
And so in that moment, Jesus predicts that it's Judas who's going to betray him. Um, it's interesting that, that Jesus, obviously, he's all God and he's all man, so he is the victim of betrayal, if you will, but he is also all God. So he understands and he knows beforehand who's going to betray him. He knows who's going to kill him. He knows the manner by which he'll die because he's all God and he's all man. But I got to tell you, when it comes to you and I, um, you, you can sense betrayal coming on, can't you? I, I mean, let's face it. A lot of times we sense it coming. We're, we're not divine. We don't know the future before it gets here. But um, often we kind of sense that things might be adding up to some sort of stab in the back or betrayal. I, I love how Jesus responds. But I got to tell you, sometimes if we think that betrayal is on the horizon, um, we allow fear and anxiety um, to push us off of our God-given mission in life. Man, that, that kind of swirling like thoughts of fear and anxiety, it can cripple us, can't it? It can render us useless in our families and in our lives and in our jobs and in our communities. If we operate under the, the, the umbrella of fear and anxiety, sometimes we don't even have the opportunity to operate at all because we're consumed with it. We're debilitated by fear and anxiety. Look, Jesus, he did not at all allow fear to determine his response he didn't allow it to, to control um, his next action, what he would do next. And it also didn't stop him from completing that God-given mission to save the world, save us from our sins. Jesus did not let even the knowledge of coming betrayal knock him off mission. It did not even phase him. And I realize he's perfect and he's all God, but there's something to learn there, isn't there? There's something to learn for you and I when we sense it coming. Sometimes the fear and anxiety is the worst part. I, a few weeks ago, uh, our daughter um, had to go get a shot, and we didn't tell her about that. And so I picked her up, and I took her to the doctor. And as soon as we pulled up, she goes, what are we doing here? And I said, well, you're getting a shot. Because I know as dad that the shot is not nearly as worse as what? The fear of the shot. Am I right? Some of you are like, you are dead wrong, Todd. It's worse, okay? It's not. It's not. It's the same thing. We often make up in our minds, I know I do, um, we make things worse up here than it actually is. And Jesus gives us that example of remaining consistent. He was persistent and he was obedient even in the face of coming betrayal. Now turn over to verse 47. Skip all the way down to verse 47 in Matthew chapter 1. Love this. Here it comes. Jesus, by the way, withdrew. We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks in our series that uh, we begin on Easter Sunday called Follow Me. We're going to be talking about how Jesus so often withdrew to be with God. And so he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his the coming death um, he, and trial, you know, just like um, surprise trial and then death. And he goes into this garden and he begins praying. And then he all of a sudden... Um, senses and sees his disciples around him. Take a look at what he says. While he was still speaking, Judas came over, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. 
You see, Judas had plotted, he had received his payment, but he also had told these Roman soldiers, I'm going to give you a sign of who this is, because some of them may not have known who Jesus was. And so he had a sign arranged. The one that I will kiss is the man, sees him. Verse 49, and he came up to Jesus at once, and he said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Do what you came to do. Then they came up and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and withdrew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, Jesus says, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled that it must be so? At the hour that Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against, uh, as a, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him. And what did they do? Ah, scaredy cats. They fled. They got out of there. I probably would have done the same thing. You see, Jesus knew about his betrayal beforehand, but all of a sudden, in the uh, kind of most strange of circumstances, but circumstances that were predicted, excuse me, that were prophesied in the Old Testament, Jesus is taken by the Romans in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of these things happen not the way we might think they would have happened, but they happen to fulfill Scripture. And Jesus understands that. And even in that, we sense his mission. Like, I'm here. I'm supposed to allow myself to go through this trial because this is my calling, even in the face of the worst type of betrayal. Now, first and foremost, I want you to um, capture and understand that Judas allowed greed to drive the betrayal of Jesus. I mean, he allowed 30 pieces of silver, which is, was, was maybe a lot of money in the short term, but really didn't net him uh, tremendous wealth for the rest of his life. He traded his Savior in um, for a relatively small amount of money. But look how Jesus responds. He was consistent in his message of turning the other cheek and, um, and really allowing God to do his work when Judas betrayed him. Um, Jesus um, talked about turning the other cheek in Matthew chapter 5, 39. He says this, but do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Jesus is saying in this instance, if someone comes against you, turn the other cheek. Don't engage them. Now, my dad's recommendation probably wasn't so pure, but my dad used to say this to me, whether it's on the ball field or the playground, he taught me, he said, don't throw the second punch. And his, his like, um, like influence to me or his, his uh, you know, recommendation and, and uh, his suggestion to me was um, whoever throws the second punch is the one that what? Gets caught. <laughs> so maybe my dad's advice wasn't so pure, but Jesus 
It says, turn the other cheek when someone does something against you. And he's consistent even in his own life. Listen, Jesus isn't going to ask anything from you that he hasn't already experienced and done himself. So his ability to turn the other cheek is something that he shows even in the worst of circumstances. Jesus said this, and we already read it in Matthew 26, 50. Friend, do what you came to do. He saw Judas coming up. He kissed him on the cheek, and he said, do what you came to do. This is what you're supposed to do. Jesus had an incredibly persistent sense of his mission and what he was supposed to do. I hope that I'm able to stand up against um, any kind of betrayal, denial, being stabbed in the back, resistance, and be as purposeful in what God has called me to do. I, I hope that I can be something that Jesus was, even if it's just a little bit of what Jesus was. You know, Jesus could have done anything. He could have done anything to get out of the situation he was in. Yeah, he was all man, but he was also all God. And he says that when he says, I could call my father right now and have 12 legions of angels come and take me out of this, but it wouldn't be my purpose. It wouldn't fulfill scripture. Although he could, Jesus didn't ask God to release him from what he was facing, from the betrayal that he was about ready to face and that he was in the midst of at that moment. Jesus was so consistent. And take a look at this. This is the last part. Not only does Judas, the man who is a treasure, maybe one of the most trusted of the group, deny him, but one of the ones he was clo- most uh, uh, betrays him, but one of the ones that Jesus was closest to denied him. Take a look at verses 69 through 75 in chapter 26. Now Peter was sitting outside of a courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean asking him and he said in verse 70 but he denied it before them all saying i don't know what you mean and when he went out to the entrance another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders this man was with jesus of nazareth this was the guy who knows him he can confirm this is him we need another witness here and again he denied it with an oath i do not know the man i do not know the man After a little while, the bystanders came up to him and said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Your accent betrays you. Verse 74, Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Jesus had told him that he would deny him three times. And then a rooster would crow, and it's exactly what happened. And Jesus remembered, excuse me, and Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You see, Peter had multiple opportunities to accept and to uh, proclaim Jesus. And each time he didn't take the opportunity to do so. And in doing that, he denied him. And he became a witness to the fact that this was the one who um, was to be arrested and tried. But Jesus' complete disregard of Peter's betrayal demonstrates, once again, his trust in God's plan. Listen, I want to tell you, you may be in here today, and you have been the victim of of some sort of betrayal. Maybe it's been minor, but it has a deep emotional impact. You know, it has scars that go deep. Maybe it was a long time ago, and those, those scars just come up at the oddest, weirdest times. Or maybe it's fresh. And maybe the consequences were widespread for you, chaos in your life. 
I don't know what it is, but there are some of you who are here today and you needed to hear this message because you've never taken a step towards healing in this area. You've ignored it, and you've ignored it, and you've ignored it, and it comes out at the worst time. It makes its appearance appearance at at the times where you um, need most to be able to trust in God, and you need that close relationship with him, but because of this thing that you've never dealt with, you've never got closure on, you've never brought it to a completion, it keeps coming up over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if it's with a spouse or a previous spouse, or, with, or with, if it's with a child or children, or if it's with parents or students, some of you students who are in here, if it's with a friend. Um, but I want to tell you that there is healing to be had. Just like last week, if you were born you know, into the wrong family, so to speak, even though God knew exactly who you'd be born into, what family you'd be born into, if you're here today and betrayal has caused harm in your life, Um, I I want you to know um, that Jesus is there for you. And and we have to realize that betrayal is going to happen. To to some extent or another, someone is going to do something, if they haven't already, or if you're not going through it right now, you will go through it in the future because people are sinners, just like you and me. So the, the bottom line for us today is, that sometimes those who are with you might not always be for you. Those who are with you might not always be for you. But regardless of who may reject and deny and betray you, I want you to hear this part. You can absolutely, positively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, know that Jesus is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you, and he's not only always with you, but he is always for you. Not everyone in your life, even those who are closest to you, will always be for you, but he is always for you. Paul to the church in Rome wrote this letter, and he says this in Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us. Who can be against us? I'm not saying that your pain doesn't matter. I'm not saying that you don't need to work through that and seek help. In fact, I want to challenge you to seek help, godly counsel. And that begins today for some of you. But I'm saying that regardless of who abandons you, regardless of who you trusted, who has now broken that trust and become untrustworthy, Jesus is always faithful. I want you to think about this in closing. If our God is for us, who can stand against us? No one. No one. There is no one in your life that can stand against you because God is for you. Now, if you're here today and you have heard something and uh, you have been deeply hurt by the wounds of betrayal, I want you first and foremost to allow that to spur you on to a deeper trust in God. But I also want it to be the thing that prompts you to get help and healing. And today, as we did last week, our uh, worship team is going to come back up here, and they're gonna, we're going to worship God with one more song this morning before you leave. But I, I'm going to really challenge you, and, and, and I want to invite you, and, and I want you to take this seriously. If you're here today and you need prayer because life is not fair for you and it 
The it's not fair part comes from some sort of betrayal, some sort of stab in the back. Man, don't leave here. It doesn't matter where you're from, okay? I know there's some of you here from Ohio, okay? Doesn't matter where you're from. Come on down here. We've got a prayer team that's going to be down here. They can pray for you. We can get you professional Christian counseling to make that step towards healing and a deeper trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word, your truth. And God, we thank you that when um, everyone else may seem like it, may seem like they're against us, God, you are for us. Thank you for that truth, God. We thank you for that truth. And God, right now, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with everyone who is in here who has been the victim of betrayal, the victim of someone denying them or betraying them or stabbing them in the back. And right now, in the strong name of Jesus, I just pray that you would begin the healing process. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would allow those who are in here who have deep wounds from something that happened, whether it was fresh or whether it was years ago, God, I pray that they would begin the healing process right now. If you're in here today and you're one of our, our life group leaders, our group leaders, elders, stewardship team, part of our prayer team, I'm going to ask you guys to get up right now and come on down front. I'm going to ask everyone over the next just few minutes together that we have just to stay in, stay in their seats and just not leave today. God, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And God, we thank you that we can be healed and we can be confident in the fact that you will never, ever leave us. God, you are for us. You are not against us. And I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would begin that healing process right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As we begin to worship, I'm going I'm to ask you to come on down here. We've got some fantastic people down front here who can help you take that first step towards healing from those wounds of betrayal. Let's worship together.